What's up everyone? This is Gwen. This is JV. This is Chapoy aka DJ Shrimp and you're listening to Millionaire 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 Interviews. Interviews. Hey there. Welcome to the show. Let's get started with some Patreon shoutouts. Daniel Rosado in New York, New York. Julian Nugent in Perth, Australia. Eduardo Davilia in Tempe, Arizona. And last but not least, my pussycat, Inception Peak in Neptune Beach, Florida. Thank you to all of you for becoming new Patreon members. We really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our current Patreon members for helping support the show. Your support through Patreon helps us offset the cost of finding our guests for the show, researching to make sure we get real entrepreneurs on here, and last but not least, help with the editing of each episode. So if this podcast is helping your business, would you consider becoming a Patreon member to help support us? We're competing really against other larger, much larger podcasts like How I Built This with Guy Raz, Planet Money, and TED Radio Hour. See, they're able to stay on the air basically through donations and taxpayer funding. Unfortunately, we're not subsidized by taxpayer funding. So if you're getting any value from the podcast, would you be willing to just take a minute to support us on Patreon? If so, just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon or scroll down to the bottom of the episode description and see how you can become a Patreon member today. Thanks again for listening. And again, to all of our Patreon supporters, thank you for making this a viable option for us to do this full time. So, hope you all enjoy this episode. Help me help you. Help me help you. And that's also why I love how we started this podcast. Wherever you're at, just start now. Just start because those are the lessons and the journey and the hours. When you turn it into the million dollar business, that's where you're going to find the most joy. Look where I came from. Look what I've done. That's the secret. That's it right there. And I left confused again. Like what the hell just happened? And now even a couple years later, I realized that's what business is. It's your concept. It's your idea, but it's also evolution. It's also change. It's also not being scared to. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things, man, that I still do today, even at this stage at 41 years old and it's almost 17 years in, still take time throughout your day, throughout your week to remind yourself why you even started the business. Name is Mike Waters, grew up in Southern California, actually moved to Las Vegas in 1999 to play football at UNLV. Currently 41 years old, been running my business phase one sports now for almost 17 years. And it's been a great journey, a lot of ups and downs. It's been the most exciting roller coaster you've ever been on because it's real life, but it's been a great journey thus far. So the most important question here is what position did you play at UNLV? I played uh, running back. I was all of five feet, seven inches tall and uh, 185 pounds. For me, that was really probably the intro to kind of set me up, man, on the path I've been on. So coming out of high school, everyone said, even my head coach was like, you're too small. You'll never play college football. You'll never play division one. And for whatever reason, I didn't believe him. And, you know, I kept working, kept training, kept doing everything in my power. And I accomplished that goal years later. And I think even today, 
those are kind of the stories and the situations that have just given me that mindset. It's not going to be easy. It can be against all odds. But if you just continue on that path, man, you can still make it happen. And so I think I channel a lot of my business drive and entrepreneur drive from those sports years of being undersized and being the underdog. So I think it all ties back in to where I'm at today. And I value those stories. I, I love my head coach that looked me in the eye and told me I would never play Division One. It kind of lit a fire and set me off on a journey. And I haven't looked back since. That's kind of what drove me when I started my first business. Certain people saying you can't do something. And I mean, you got to be able to take that and use that in a positive way to push you or force you to go in the direction to kind of prove them wrong, really. I mean, I enjoy when that type of stuff happens. And I think more people need to embrace it versus, hey, he says I can't do it, so I'm not going to do it. Use that as motivation. And again, like you were saying, that's what drove you to be an athlete in college. Yeah, 100%. And here's my perspective. And here's how I like to look at it. When someone tells me that I can't do something, the first thing that I try to do is I try to look at it and I say, okay, why would they even say that? Number one, usually they're saying it because they're ignorant. Or in some cases, they're even saying it because they're trying to protect you from something. They don't want to see you fail. They don't want to see you put in that kind of work and not make it. So you have to kind of understand where it's coming from. And then the last piece, I try to tie in, okay, what am I missing then? What in your eyes am I missing? And for me, when I first even started my business, and people told me the same exact thing. It's never going to work. It sounds like a hobby. Sounds like something you should do on the weekends after you get off from your regular job. I looked at it. I said, why would they say that? It's because they felt like I didn't have the business experience. I didn't have the business education. I didn't come from a family that owned businesses and millionaires and parents that could invest. I didn't have any of that. So I understood why they said it. And that's when I set out to learn as much as I could about the business side of being an entrepreneur because so many of us have ideas, but are we willing to invest the time and the energy to learn how to even run a business, how to set up a business, what type of corporation? These are the things that I had no clue in 2003 when I started. And now I've really fallen in love with the whole concept of business. And from one angle, I think it helped that they said, hey, you can't do it. So it's cool. Well, let me figure out how to do it. And let me learn as much as I can. And I'm going to not only prove to you, I'm going to prove to myself that I am going to do it no matter what. So it's been great. Yeah. And I'll say the big difference for you is you actually doing something. I mean, there's so many people listening right now who might just dream about something versus actually doing it. If you're just going to dream about it and think about it, nothing's going to happen. You actually have to put something into the works to push yourself forward. So can you talk about that as far as how you even got started with that drive to keep going and not be one of the streamers, if you will? 100%. And I'm so glad that you said that because even today, that is really my pet peeve is because, you know, at the stage that I'm at now, I get a lot of people that reach out, whether it be friends, whether it be family, whether it be random people through social media. How did you start? Or they're telling me like, hey, I want to do this. or I want to open a gym one day like yours. Or I want to do this. And then my first question I ask, I say, okay, what are you doing right now? And it's so quiet and it's so blank. And they're like, well, I'm getting ready to. I'm about to. When the time's right, I'm going to. And immediately I look at it as you've given me permission to say what I feel. And immediately I tell them that they're not going to make it. Because at the end of the day, I say that for two reasons. One, because it's reality. If you don't have action, there's no way to have progression. And then the other way I say it is, I hope that it inspires them. I hope they get offended when I say, well, you're not doing anything right now. I hope it inspires them to get up and say, he's right. Where can I start today? Because so many of us think in order to start, I have to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G all lined up and then life is going to be great and then I'm going to start my business. It never works like that. 
if that's what you're waiting for, you're going to be waiting for a long time and you'll probably die with that same dream. So my thing is with young entrepreneurs and the way I train myself is I don't care where you're at, start. When I have people come in, I want to, our facility that I'm at right now is 20,000 square foot indoor turf. We have everything in here. But at the end of the day, people say, I want to have a gym just like this. And I ask them, okay, are you training athletes now? Are you already a trainer? Are you certified? No, not yet. So what are you going to do? Wait until you're in a position to open a 20,000 square foot facility. And then that's going to be day one. I have to remind them that I started training athletes in the parks. I had to remind them that me and my athletes were jumping gates on Saturday just to get to football fields because the gates were locked and we didn't have permits. Like you have to start where you're at and progress. And then you'll look back and you'll enjoy the journey. You'll appreciate the journey. And when you get to that next level, it'll mean that much more. Again, it's just the idea of all of us can make up excuses for anything. Maybe I want to wait till I have so much money. Maybe I want to wait till I'm single so I'll have more time or whatever. And again, at the end of your life, you look back as you regret the things you didn't do versus you did do. So anyone who's listening right now and you're just waiting for so much money in the bank or whatever, okay, well, at least if you make a goal and a plan to get to that, maybe it's six months out or whatever, at least you're striving towards that versus just hopelessly saying it, I want to wait till I get make more money or get more money versus you actually putting a goal and criteria with it, right? Exactly. And not even knowing what that means. Right. And that's the thing when people say, oh, I'm going to wait till I have more time. Okay. Well, how much time do you need? I don't know. Just more time. You're never going to get there because you don't even have it defined as to what that even means. When I save money, I'm going to start my business. How much money do you need? I don't know. Okay. Then what are we even doing? What? You know, so you're hundred percent right. And I encourage anyone that in those early stages, man, if that's your mindset, you say, Hey, I'm going to start when if that's your mindset, which I don't necessarily agree with, but if that is your mindset, at least have tangible goals on how you're going to get there. And that way you have that launch point. If you're going to wait to save money, say it's going to be 5000 it's going to be $10,000, it's going to be whatever, and then set a plan to accomplish that. And now you can kickstart your business and get it off the ground instead of just an open-ended statement, which means it'll be five years from now, you'll still be telling people the same story. Yeah. And I think people don't define goals on it because they don't want to be held accountable. So you've never quote unquote failed. Yes. I'm still working on it. <laughs> exactly. That's what happens to me from time to time. It's like, oh, I don't want to put a goal to it because I don't want to see if I failed. But again, if that's what holding you back, you need to look in the mirror and kind of realize that. So why don't we jump into your business a little bit more and we'll hopefully get some motivation from that if anyone's on the fence of wondering, should I make that jump or whatever? But tell us a little bit more about phase one sports, if you will, and then just tell us how you make money and then we'll reel it back to how you got started. Yeah, for sure. So phase one sports, we're an athlete development program. So our whole goal is whether it be youth athletes into college, into professional athletes, we basically bring together everything that they need to be successful. So that's their performance training, their supplementation, their nutrition, their therapy, pretty much everything, whether it's just a young high school athlete that's hoping to get a scholarship in a couple of years or a seasoned pro that's been in the NFL for 10 years already. Our job is to basically help manage your career and make sure you have all the tools and all the resources to be successful. And so the way that looks, we have two locations here in Las Vegas. One of them's, uh, like I said, 20,000 square foot. And then we also have a second one here in Vegas and we have one in Hawaii as well. And so basically those become kind of the meeting spot for all these different services that we offer with the end goal of helping our athletes stay healthy, stay focused. Everything from mental training to physical training to, you know, hey, they have an injury and now they need physical therapy. So basically over the years, I've designed a program that started with just training and then it kind of went into other areas. And now is a very complete athlete development program that we've been running now for years. 
Are you a business owner that's tired of your team having to waste valuable time on the phone? Imagine if your support team could accurately anticipate customer issues without making them repeat themselves. Or just take a second and imagine your sales team. Just think about how many more prospects your sales team could reach if their phone system was able to create automatic call notes and even automatically dial for them. Well, Aircall is here to the rescue. Aircall is a 100% cloud-based phone system that helps thousands of sales and support teams stop wasting their time on the phone. Aircall integrates with popular CRM, help desk, e-commerce, and other business software to help your team understand and log vital customer and prospect information on every single call. With Aircall's many software integrations, customer service reps know a customer's last order and order status before they even pick up the phone. And with Aircall, sales reps can instantly add prospect numbers to a calling queue, sync call notes to your CRM, and can automatically dial through phone numbers back to back. All this automation will save your team minutes on each call, and those minutes add up. So if you want to save your business time and money on the phone, then try Aircall's seven day no risk free trial. It takes less than three minutes to set up and there's no credit card required. Simply visit aircall.io slash millionaire or check the link in your episode notes below. Dollar Shave Club. When I talk about Dollar Shave Club, I can't stress enough the quality of their products. They spent years developing, crafting, refining everything. They have everything I use to look feel and smell my best. You name it, they have it and I use it. I've been a Dollar Shave Club member for years and I use the executive six blade razor, which keeps me looking fresh and so clean clean. And as amazing as their shave stuff is, Dollar Shave Club is way more than just razors. Dollar Shave Club has you covered head to toe. They have everything you need to shower, shave, style your hair, brush your teeth, and yes, even wipe your butt. And Dollar Shave Club can keep you automatically stocked up on those products you use. You get what you want whenever you need it, whether that's once a month or a few times a year. I never have to waste time at a store wondering if what I'm getting is any good. As a Dollar Shave Club member, I know what I'm getting is the highest quality. And right now, you can put that quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. Their Ultimate Shave Starter Set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. The Executive Razor, Shave Butter, Prep Scrub, and Post Shave Dew. The best part is, you can try it for just $5. After that, the restock box ships regular sized products at regular prices. Get your ultimate starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash millionaire. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash millionaire. I'm looking on your website, you have different tiers where people might pay 250 bucks a month to 150 bucks a month for you to help them with their agility and whatnot in phase one sports. Yeah. So basically we have a membership model. And so our main focus point is the training. So that's where, you know, Hey, you have a 10 year old soccer player just needs to get faster. So cool. We have speed agility programs, things that start at 150 bucks a month. And then that program develops all the way through prime example right now, there's a couple NBA guys in our gym right now. And these guys are already in NBA players. And now they're here for the similar type training, but they're also here for their nutrition, their supplements. We do once a week mindset training to make sure they're in the mental space for it. And so we start with those $150, $250 a month type programs. And then we progress 
to are actually elite programs that can be anywhere from typically between two and three thousand dollars a month, depending on the level of that athlete and what exactly they need us to do. So almost a concierge type service for the elite, as well as a beginner starting package for the 10-year-old baseball player that's just trying to figure out if they even want to play baseball or not. So a nice little range that we've developed the business model and structure over the years. So are you going to get Carmelo Anthony back on an NBA team or no? Hey, man, I feel bad for him, man. I really do. <laughs> I looked at the interview. I didn't know how to feel. And I do agree with what he's saying, man. You would think he would be on a roster. Right. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know if that was one of the guys you were training since you are saying NBA. I'm like, maybe it's him because I know the NBA development league's out there too. So I don't know if you get some of the NBA guys from that. Yeah, we definitely do. We got like Gary Payton Jr. is in here right now. DJ Wilson, who's with the Bucks. Zach Lofton, who's a Nick guy. I mean, we got a handful of them in right now. And then up to two weeks ago, all of our NFL guys were in. So we had Brandon Marshall and Xavier Grimble, a bunch of the NFL guys. So now they're out because they just started camp. And now our NBA guys will hang out for about another two, three weeks, and then they're out. And then we just kind of continue that cycle throughout the year. So you're saying day one, you didn't get all these NBA athletes and NFL athletes to join your gym? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I opened up, I put out one email blast, and all of a sudden they are, no, not even close, man. I mean, when I started phase one, it was very simple. So just short backstory, I grew up in Pasadena in Southern California. So when I ended up coming out of high school, academically, I didn't qualify. I ended up putting myself in a position to have two scholarship offers. I didn't qualify academically, so I couldn't accept either one. So I went to Mount Sac Junior College down in California and then played there for two years. Then I transferred to UNLV. Now, when I transferred to UNLV, I would go home every month, every couple of weeks, go visit family, friends. And it was crazy how most of the people I grew up with were wearing the same clothes, standing on the same corner that they were on when I left a year ago. And then, you know, some of my friends by that point, one of my closest friends was already serving a 19-year sentence for armed robbery. So he was in jail. A couple of my other friends were already selling drugs. It was like a weird balance of I would be at UNLV where I met teammates who parents had cabins and, you know, hey, five of us are going up to the cabin for Christmas break and we're going to ski. And I'm like, whoa, never done that before. Never even. And then, you know, we're going to the lake. My dad has a boat. And it's like, whoa, dad has a boat. This is cool. Then I would go home and then it would be the exact opposite. So what I did mentally, for whatever reason, I connected the dots between my love for football got me all the way to college. College gave me a different experience and then I wondered how many people that I knew, inner city kids, kids in the neighborhood, that if they just got this far, how much their life would change. Because mine did. And so I set out in 2003 to help high school athletes get scholarships. That was the day one business plan. And so I started doing that, started accomplishing that. And then those athletes started getting scholarships. Then they would come back while they're in college and train. So they needed a little bit more services. Then a couple of the special ones would get drafted. And now they're back. And now it's like, well, now you're a pro. So you need this, this, this. So it really became a business that developed over the years into what it is now. So to go back to your question, we did not start in 2003 with NFL and NBA athletes. It actually was probably eight, nine, 10 year journey before the pros really started seeing this as a valuable tool for their career. And again, it's always like perspective, like you were saying, when someone's saying they want to open a gym like yours. I mean, I think what I've learned over and over again in these interviews is like patience. It's not going to happen overnight, right? But you got to keep your drive going to get to where you are today. Because again, it's been 16 or 17 years that you've been growing it. So if we want to go back to the beginning, you're saying even when you started phase one sports, you started that right out of college, you didn't even have another job. 
So what I did, yes, I actually worked for Sprint PCS. I was one of the crazy guys that you see in the mall in those little kiosks that you walk by and we're trying to get you to buy a cell phone or switch carriers. So I was a sales rep at Sprint PCS. And at the same exact time, I started phase one. And so quick story, I remember being at my kiosk in the Boulevard Mall here in Las Vegas, and I was working on my website. First website ever. I'm super excited. I'm actually like sketching out what I want on the website and how it's going to look. And my manager walks up and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and so I just went all in. I'm like, I'm working on my website. I'm starting a business. This is what I'm going to do. And he looks at me and he says, okay, so normally I'm writing you up and suspending you for what you're doing right now. But since your kiosk is in the top three in our network in sales, I'm going to assume that whatever you're doing is working. And I know you're not going to be here that long. So I'm just going to act like I didn't see anything. And it gave me this extra like level of confidence that when he could have went the complete opposite direction, he actually kind of laughed it off and went, hey, try not to do it in the middle of your hours that we're paying you for. But I understand that there's a fire in you. There's something in you that we're not going to be able to contain at a cell phone booth. And I'm just happy that you're here for as long as you're here. I worked for them for one and a half years. And then at the one and a half year mark, I put in my notice and I decided at that time I was going to go all in. And just like we talked about earlier, so this was my cue. I told myself the day that I match the money that I'm making at Sprint, that I'm just making the same amount is the day that I'm quitting. And it took me one and a half years to match it. And when I got to that point, I put in my notice and I haven't looked back. And when I say haven't looked back, there's times that I wanted to look back. There's times that I almost quit. Lots of ups and downs on the journey, but that was the deciding factor that I made something tangible and said, the day that my check matches, my income matches, I'm out of here because if I can get it to match part-time, I know that if I go full-time, man, I can just go crazy and I can be successful. So how were you actually making money in those early years? Was it you were still training? Because I know you said you were helping these high schoolers get a scholarship or trying to get them to different colleges, but how was phase one sports actually making money to match the money you're making at the cell phone booth? So what I was doing was, it was twofold. So I started training athletes and I would train them on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So I trained three days a week and typically it would be at a different park or somewhere. I find a field and just send out a message to say, meet me at this place at this time. And it would be 20 bucks. I remember that being a big thing back for me back in the early days. It was $20 workout. So parents, kids would walk up with $20, hand it to me, jump in line in the group and I would train them for an hour, hour and a half. Then the second part of that was I started hosting camps. I would invite college coaches in to evaluate athletes. And then I would invite, of course, the athletes. So I'd have 40, 50 athletes out there. And then I would invite the colleges and call it an evaluation camp to where they could actually watch these kids go through drills, get their height, their weight, all their information. And then in an ideal world, that would kickstart the recruiting process for the athletes. And then the last piece that I plugged in was a recruiting service. So I would sit down with parents and say, okay, your kid has this level potential. So for this amount, which back then was between usually right around $500. So like a $500 recruiting package, basically I would sit down, put together his film, all of his information, his stats, and I would personally send that out to 25 colleges to help get exposure. So basically what you see now on like ESPNU and rivals.com and all these huge websites, I was actually before them I just didn't have the financial backing to go where they went, but I was before them with the same model that they still use today, which is helping kids get exposure through these camps and combines and events. So it's interesting because it seems like, yeah, you had a lot of different type of revenue sources. It wasn't just like one thing, even if they were kind of smaller, obviously, in the beginning, 
you weren't just doing group classes. You were doing some smaller random ones. You were doing some of the recruiting services. And sometimes you were doing these camps, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. So when you were doing all that, were you just happy to be your own businessman? Did you have any long-term thoughts at that point, what you wanted it to become? At that point, in the first couple of years, I was just excited. Right. I was just making my own money and I was just excited, loving life, running around. But I did quickly start thinking about how to scale it because I start looking at it like, okay, I'm going to cap at X amount of hours per week that I can personally invest. And I mean, it got to the point where I was up all night doing highlight videos. I mean, literally all night. I'm talking four or five in the morning, easily editing game film. Then I would wake up and send off my emails to college coaches. Then the evening would hit. Now it's time to go train for four or five hours. So it got by about year four, going into year five, it got to that point where I'm like, man, this is becoming now I'm making more money than ever. Probably more money than I even thought for that time. This is what, 2008. And so I'm thinking like, I got it made. I mean, my rent, I have five roommates. My rent was all of 420 bucks a month. So I'm feeling good about life. But now I'm realizing that this isn't a long-term strategy. So I started thinking about how can I scale it? How can I grow it? How can I bring in other people to help pay them and basically continue to grow and eventually just turn into more of a management position and stand on the creative side to help the business develop? Yeah, I imagine you're probably at your peak physical fitness too, coming out of college, being a running back. And then you realize that 20 years down the road, yeah, sure, I guess you can still do it to an extent, but your body's going to eventually where you can't be the fitness instructor, right? All the way till you're 85 or something like that. Man, can't do it. And then the mental side, and then running the business. In the beginning, I'm wearing every single hat. So, you know, I'm the guy that's sending out emails when parents are behind. I'm the one that's collecting payments while I'm training. I'm the one that's calling the college coaches. I'm the one that's editing the film. I'm the one that's training the athletes. So now I'm the one that no longer sleeps. And I wake up and go, wow, I'm exhausted. The money looks great, but I'm exhausted. And that's when you have to start thinking, scale and bringing in other people that are like-minded to help grow and continue your vision. Did you just start thinking, hey, I probably need to stop doing the recruiting videos because maybe that's not the best at versus, hey, these group classes seem to work better than if I'm doing maybe individual ones. Like, just tell us your mindset after you started realizing this and what, like, how you were going to scale it. What I did immediately was I brought in two friends that I actually played college football with. So I knew they had good sports background, obviously. I've been knowing them for years. And so I brought in the first one and his job was very simple. He would now take over all of the recruiting and editing side. So now his single job was to make sure these videos were correct, make sure everything was getting done, make sure the recruiting, make sure the emails are getting out to colleges. And so I would pay him for those services, which freed up a lot of time. And then I continued on the training side of it, as well as the marketing, of course, because that's the part that we always forget about. As your business grows, it takes more time, but you still have to focus on building. So you still have to focus on marketing and things like that. And back then, there wasn't even any social media. I think we might have MySpace, but that was more about trying to find a cute girl that was who weren't necessarily driving business from it. So what I had to do, I had to focus more on the marketing and staying at the high schools, making sure I'm at the game, making sure I'm printing out shirts and the athletes are being branded and wearing our shirts and things like that. And so I took on those responsibilities and passed off the recruiting and the highlight video side, which was kind of the first step that made me breathe a little bit and gave me a little bit of freedom. And then about two years later, I'm back in the same position. Now I'm overwhelmed again with the training and all the stuff that I did maintain. You were talking about the video editing that you kind of gave that to one of your guys. So you're saying that editing took a while? No, hours. So here's what would happen. 
And granted, I learned throughout the process. So in the beginning phase, what I would do is you have a son, he plays high school football. So what you do is you would on DVD send me all of the first, say, three games. So each game is about, what, two and a half, three hours. So if you just send me the first three games, we're talking just in simple time, that's going to be 12 to 15 hours by the time you watch every play, pull out the good plays, edit them, put his title on the screen, do everything that you're going to do, and then burn the copies that you're going to ultimately mail off to colleges. Because you got to remember, technology wasn't what it is today. So it wasn't as simple as, you know, I'll just put it on YouTube or the company that's out today, which is called Huddle, which has simplified the complete process. Back then it was DVD player. It was Adobe Premiere to edit. It was titles. It was Walmart, a hundred blank CDs or DVDs. You burn, then you mail them out. (laughs) So it was a complete process. I was kind of joking about it because, dude, I don't think people understand editing because this is a podcast episode. Each episode we put out, it's a shit ton of editing. Like for us, it's like 10 to 20 hours we do for the audio editing. And I know video editing is another beast like yours just saying. Hopefully people just appreciate once you start doing editing and you realize you want to outsource that bad boy as soon as you can, right? Oh, man, as soon as possible. I remember nights I would be dozing off at the computer editing game film. Be like, did I just fall asleep? I think I fell asleep. I don't even know what just happened. And now I got to rewind eight minutes to try to see what the last thing I remember. And the thing is, you think if I'm working with an athlete, football, for example, it's 10 games in a season. So by the time this project is done, I've edited all 10 games, each game minimum two hours. And not to mention some kids are all around athletes. They play linebacker, they play running back, they play receiver, they're on special teams. So I have to watch the whole three hour game to pull out these eight plays that I think a college coach would want to see to create this highlight video. So man, when I say tedious and time consuming, oh my God, I would have nightmares of video and film. I mean, it was just crazy, man. So when I passed that off, it was probably one of the best early decisions that I made. Yeah, no, absolutely. Same here with the podcast. That's why I like have multiple editors who catch different things because someone will miss something sometimes dealing with that. And it's like, man, outsourcing that, there's no way I could do it. I'm the last one who listens to each episode before we even put it out. But again, I'm the very last one. They've already done that by the time I get it, usually 15 hours at least. So there's nothing like getting rid of any editing process, honestly. So if you're still doing editing on video or audio, if you can outsource that, you will appreciate yourself much more. Oh man, your life will change. Your life will change. And I'll tell you, man, it's also something to be said about finding people that have the same level of passion for that type of thing as you do in other areas. My passion is creativity and marketing and hands-on with my athletes. So I was totally out of my creative space by even sitting at that computer for those hours. But I know other people that they live for that. That's what they love to do. They love to sit there. They can edit all day, edit all night. They're going to talk to you about the new screen fades and the new programs and they're loving it. They're on the blog, they're reading about it. And you're thinking to myself, I could care less. Can you just get it done for me? Absolutely. And that's usually when you found the right person to take it over. So at this point in time, when you actually hired your guy to come on, how much were y'all doing in revenue? If you want to tell us about a couple of years in, because it seemed like everything's been doing well since you quit your sprint job and hired your new guys to help you out. Yeah. So by that point, at that stage, we're about five years in and we were making anywhere between I would say right around six to $8,000 a month is what we were bringing in total collectively, which like I said, at that time was just, I mean, it was amazing. I bought my first house. It was just a lot of good things happening because I looked at it a few years out of college. I'm doing what I love to do. I'm helping kids get scholarships and on a good month, I'm bringing in eight grand. I'm like, this is, I'm good. 
those times I looked at it and went, man, I think I'm okay. I could just kind of, you know, stay right about here. And then that's when I started thinking like, okay, what else? What's next? I kind of got a little dormant. And then that's when it kind of like your creativity, you have a choice. Either you're going to get content and say, I'm making eight grand a month. This is more than most of my peers. This is more than people that I know that got their master's degrees. I'm making more than them. And I'm freaking at a high school football game on Friday night, hanging out with athletes and training in the park on Saturday. I'm good. That's very easy to get that mindset, man. You got to be very careful that you don't fall into that contentment without even realizing it. Did that actually happen to you? It did in that exact phase. And here's why. Things were very comfortable, very easy at that time. And then from there, what I realized is I was back as an employee. So I started realizing like, okay, I'm making good money. I'm making more money than I was making with Sprint by far. But now I have this routine that I have to do X, Y, Z five, six days a week. And so at the end of the day, I'm in a sense, even though it's my business, I'm back trading hours for dollars. You made not really a business. You made like a career for yourself, a nine to five almost. So yeah, I mean, that's what happened to me multiple times too. It's like, I'm building a business and then I'll get content for a little while. And then I get that re-energy, you know? And I think part of it may because you might've been putting in so many hours at first. To me, it's like I hit a plateau where I'm just like, I relax for a little bit. Maybe it's a couple months or whatever. Definitely not multiple years, but you reach that, you're kind of happy. But again, finding that next goal or to kind of drive you. So it sounded like you kind of figured that out. So you want to take us along your journey from there? Yeah, for sure. And so what I did, I started looking for actually locations that I could basically operate out of. So I had the vision at this point of kind of moving away from the home office, moving away from the parks and fields and things like that. So I understood that there'll be some rent, there'll be some overhead with that. So I started really learning more about that side of it and leases and things, building space insurance and permits and, you know, really kind of diving in on that end. And a year or so later, I actually opened our first location, which was about 4,000 square feet. And so when I made that move, it was kind of weird because it was really a setback in a lot of ways, because now that 8,000 that was for the most part staying in the bank is now going out to rent and overhead and insurance and all kind of other things. And so it kind of set me back financially, but it also gave me a new perspective on now what I can do and how I can grow and how I can now bring in other people to basically expand the vision And I knew it was going to take some time and it did. It took about a year and a half, two years. And by then I had increased to three different trainers working for me, still had my same person doing all the video edits, still had the recruiting, still had the event. And now that 8,000 was up to closer to 15 or so thousand a month that we were bringing in. And now I'm back in my, or I won't say all the way, but I'm a lot closer to my creative space. Meaning I get to think about marketing and being out and talking to kids and speaking at events and not as much locked into the building. To me, that was the first real strong glimpse of this is what business ownership is supposed to look like. This is what being an entrepreneur is supposed to look like versus being self-employed by the business that you created. And that was a great time. Yeah, it took obviously time again, us talking about this and not overnight, because at this point, you're about seven years in, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm seven, eight years. Yeah, probably eight years in. And yeah, and that was the first glimpse. And that wasn't perfected model by any means. That was the first glimpse of like, okay, now I see where this can go. Now I get it. And then so that was good time, good transition point. 
And so it sounds like you came to the realization, obviously, when you're trading time for money that you want to do this and make it more of a business. It seems things have gotten back to a positive outlook. But even in those first seven or eight years, what was the hardest thing that you had to overcome during that time? I think it was really my lack of business experience. I think that was a big part of it is because when you're working from your passion, you tend to lean towards the areas that you love. I was great at the camps. I was great at the skills training, but I really had a lot to learn when it came to business as a whole. And, you know, and I'll give you a prime example. So I went into, uh, I found out about this program called Nevada Micro Enterprise. So this was part of the SBA. And so older gentleman that I knew was like, hey, you're starting a business. You need to go set up an appointment with these people. They do a lot of stuff with like minority businesses, business education, things like that. You need to go see this lady. Her name is Anna Seifert. I said, perfect. Got it. I set up an appointment with Anna. I went in. First thing she said was, hey, Mike, nice to meet you. Show me your business plan, your competitive analysis and your market analysis. I just want to look through all your documents and then we'll go from there. I had the most blank look ever on my face because I had no clue of what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. My major in college was communication. I wasn't a business major. I didn't come from a family that owned businesses. So I had no experience of, you know, hey, let's do a business plan and let's do a market analysis and see what your closest competition had no clue. And this lady kicked me out of her office. She gave me a template and literally was like, here, do not come back until this is 100% complete. And it was like someone splashing water in your face and you're like, dude, I didn't know. I thought me and wanting to open a location and facility was simple as me coming in saying, here's my idea. Here's what I want to do. And she realized at that point, I had a lot of passion, a lot of energy, but I have not put any thought or any real numbers behind my vision. And that was an eye opener. And from that day on, I made a commitment to myself that I'm going to learn as much as I can about business. I knew the other part was easy, but I knew if I figure out the business side, it would just change the game. I would be set. And so that was that transition. Went back in. I created the business plan, put everything together for her. And I love her to death. We actually just had lunch a couple months ago. And you got to think this was, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. We just had lunch literally, I think it was last month. So what's funny is I go through this full business plan. This thing's, I don't know, 50 pages long. I go back into her office and I had it on a memory stick. And then I had a printed copy for her. And she grabbed it. She flipped through a couple pages. She looked at it. And then she ripped it in half. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? And she said, I'm glad you took time to do it because you understand what you're trying to accomplish. You understand the numbers and it looks like your business is going to be viable. However, you need to understand that business is forever changing and forever evolving. And I don't want you to get comfortable with what you put in this paper. I want that to be the direction, but you have to be willing to change when you need to. And I left confused again, like what the hell just happened? And now even a couple years later, I realized That's what business is. It's your concept. It's your idea. But it's also evolution. It's also change. It's also being creative. It's also not being scared to redirect when you have to or when you need to and being okay with it because it's all part of the process. Yeah. I mean, even for me, when I was doing the podcast, I didn't put together a formal business plan, if you will, but I put together some numbers or some ideas of how I want to do things. Because again, like you were saying, and what she said, things are going to change. But at least if you understand the process and at least have some direction, even if you're putting like a five or 10 year timeline to your revenue numbers, it sounds like before you've never even done that. So even if it's all wrong, at least you understand the concepts and can get an idea or the momentum, if you will, of where you want to go versus if you hadn't done that, then I think it'd be much harder to kind of figure out where you wanted to go. I mean, you'd opened up the location, but maybe you wouldn't even dreamed of opening up a bigger location or other locations, if you will. 100%. 
even though I didn't understand it in that moment, that's exactly what she was trying to teach me back then was, yes, now you have a grip on it. You have an understanding. You understand how the numbers work. You understand how marketing works. You understand your competition. You get it. Now go on your journey and know that it's going to change. It's going to be lefts, rights, straights, ups, downs. It's going to be a journey. But now you're a lot more prepared than you were when you walked in on day one and all you had was a bright idea. And I love her today for it. Other than probably once you ripped it up, you were probably pissed. Yeah. I'm like, what, I'm like, what was that? What the Like, are you serious? I'm like, dude, I just invested a month of my life into those papers. Right. And that's just a small microcosm of what happens in business. Even you could spend so much time on doing something like months of your life, nothing happened from it. Like you had an idea and for you, at least it was just your time and the hours you put in a business plan versus it could have been millions of dollars at some point in time too. So it's understanding those hurdles that all of us are going to go through. If you're at a good point right now and everything's going great, enjoy it, embrace it, but also know that it's not always going to go that way. Right. 100%. That is it. That is the entrepreneur lifestyle right there. That's what I call it. Very simple. It's like getting on the coolest roller coaster. One minute your hands are up and you're smiling. The next minute you're like, what just happened? Right. Or can I get off? Can you let me off? No, I can't get off. Okay. You're going to go further down. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So jumping back in the timeline about 2010, again, I think everything you built more of a business. Why don't you just walk us through the last nine years or so of growing phase one? Yeah. So going back to that point, that 4,000 square foot facility that we opened about four or so years later, we actually expanded and moved into a 10,000 square foot facility, uh, kind of off the same premise of what we're talking about, understanding the numbers, understanding the growth, understanding the opportunity. We went from that 4,000 to 10,000. Then when we opened that 10,000 one, 10,000 square foot facility, one of my partners that was here decided to move back to Hawaii where he was originally from. And so him and I basically created a partnership and we opened a location in Hawaii. And so that one opened right around that same time. And then fast forward, the 10,000 square foot facility here in Vegas, we outgrew. I mean, we did a great job of really marketing and building a culture in that building. And then, so it would be almost three years ago now. So what's that, 2016-ish? We moved into the current one that we're in now. So we went from 10,000 square feet up to 20,000 square feet. And this is taking some time, but this is becoming what I call my perfect model, meaning it has everything that I envisioned from even years ago, from the physical therapy, we have cryotherapy, we have pretty much full-size basketball court, a lounge. I mean, we're actually launching our podcast next month. So we have a podcast studio. So, I mean, we just put everything into this one and we've been here now almost three years. And then a year ago, we opened the second location here in Las Vegas, which is about five or 6,000 square feet, just because we need to cover more of the city because Vegas is growing freaking fast as ever. So we wanted to cover a little bit more of the valley. And so we opened the second location here. And that's where we're at now. The last three to four years has been kind of a rebirth for me because even moving from the 10,000 square foot to the 20, I mean, it was almost like starting over. I mean, you have the momentum, you have the experience, you have the name, but you have to regroup. You have to expand on your services in order to generate additional revenue to take care of, obviously, the newer overhead. So we had to go through that whole process all over again in order to be in the position we're in right now, which is about two years and eight months into this new location. So, I mean, I can imagine everyone listening that, well, not everyone, but some people listening are like, okay, Michael, like the hardest thing you had to go through was getting your business plan ripped up by that lady. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> 
So yeah, tell us about that. Even like, because again, we got to 2010 and I know also obviously the downturn, the housing kind of crashed during this time. You said things like starting to get better, but did that affect you at all? Especially because I know Vegas was hard with the real estate crash. Yeah, we were hit hard during that time. And there was a small window in there where we were affected directly. I think one of the benefits to what we do is when you tie to a family's children and then you tie to education like we do, I think we were able to absorb a little less. We had a little less of an issue with that timeline because we're helping kids get scholarships. By that point, we've had 150, 200 kids get scholarships through our program. So I think a lot of parents still kind of looked at it in the mindset of we have to figure out how to keep our kid involved with this program because it could ultimately pay for college in two years. You know what I mean? And, And so I think that helped a lot. Yeah, I actually heard that on a different podcast, actually, is that they said like during downturns or recessions, actually like growth in sports or kids sports actually increases because they realize they'd rather take a little bit of money that they have and put it more into the family and have the kid being able to do something. So it's funny that you said that. I'm I'm doubt most people know that, but at least that was good that as far as like you weren't hurt nearly as bad with your business during this time period. Yeah, for sure. And so that definitely did uh, help kind of keep us going, keep our momentum. And this is what I will say. Every transition that I went through, including this most recent one, was starting over. Even though we had like, for example, this building that we're in now, 20,000 square foot, the overhead doubled. I mean, from what we were at before, my payroll literally doubled because now I have 12 trainers in here, including our therapists and stretch technicians and all the stuff that we got going. The capital investment I mean, our cryotherapy machine alone was 50 grand. And here's how you have to have that faith that everything's going to work out, even when you're not sure it is. Because when we moved in here, I had a plan that it would take me 12 months to stabilize the business. It took over 18 months to stabilize. So meaning we literally lost money consecutively for almost 18 months in this building. In that 18 months that I did not receive one payment one check and still had to take care of my own self financially. But I had the vision of where we were going. But the transition reminded me of day one when I had nothing but a goal and a vision. And I had to figure out how to make it work. And even the original blueprint I have for this exact building is not exactly the way it was when I moved in two and a half years ago. It's changed at least three or four times. Because now when you start living in it, and you're actually in the actual business plan, day-to-day real life, you're going to realize that things don't always go to plan. I've had to endure costs that were not even on the scale. I mean, for example, we've had to remodel our entire basketball court. We've had to redo our entire turf in a three-year period, which was to the tune of almost $50,000 just for the turf. So, I mean, there's been some things that have sent me home to where I just lay in the bed and go, what am I doing? And why am I even still doing this? Matter of fact, why didn't I just stay in the 10,000 square foot facility? That's a question that I ask myself at least every 14 days for the first 18 months. Why didn't I just stay? Because here's the thing, 10,000 square foot facility, we're busting at the seams, we're generating revenue. I mean, my savings account looks great. The business looks great. We're having fun. There's no worries. And then you decide that you're ready for 20,000 square foot because you're missing X, Y, Z, and you want to expand and take it to the next level. And you make that decision, you get in the door, and then you realize you're short $23,000 in month one. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that's fun. (laughs) Oh, man, talk about suicide watch. So at the end of the day, and it's crazy because, and this is what I like people to understand, that's why I think it's so important to start where you're at. 
Because if you start where you're at, you're building the endurance, you're building the toughness, you're building the discipline, you're building it all. So when you get to the bigger obstacles, like I did two and a half years ago, when you get there, there's a part of you that says, I've been here before, I'll be fine. It's just like an athlete. There's a reason you play youth football, high school football, college football, pro football. Because by the time you get to the highest level, you're built for it. You've progressed through each stage. And I honestly can say that is the one thing that has got me to this point now where this gym is finally profitable and doing what it's supposed to do is that simple mindset. Because I remember when I moved into the 4,000 square foot facility and I was like, what just happened? I have an overhead now. I used to be able to keep $8,000. Now I'm walking away with $1,800 because I had to pay rent and pay trainers and pay staff and pay for toilet paper and paper towels and things that I didn't even account for, but I'm going to be fine. Then I moved into the bigger one. And it took me a year to stabilize that one. Now I got that one going. I feel like this is great. Now I moved into the big one. So I was building the thick skin and the toughness and the discipline all along the way. So when I got here and it was rough and I was getting punched in the stomach pretty much every month, it was something about the fight that made me go, it'll be fine. It's going to work out. Yes, you have not got paid this month. I get it, but it's going to be fine. Just stay creative, stay in your zone and pay your trainers, pay your staff because they're executing your vision. You have to sacrifice, you take the beating, you take the hits, but when you come out the other side, you'll be the entrepreneur that just got back from Costa Rica and was gone for seven days and didn't even check in with anybody in the building and came back and to my knowledge, everything seemed like it went good. (laughs) Yeah, unless Antonio Brown was doing the chirotherapy at your place. Did you see his feet? No, I did not. Oh, they they showed his feet. Apparently he went, I never knew this with chirotherapy because you're supposed to put gloves on and something on your feet. Yeah, gloves, socks, and the shoes, yeah. But he didn't do the bottom part. Oh my gosh, are you serious? (laughs) I did not see that, bro. Are you serious? What is wrong with him? And who let him do it? I don't let him get in there. I was hoping that wasn't at your facility because I know they're coming there next year. They're coming to Las Vegas next year, right? I would be so embarrassed if that (laughs) happened because I'm sure it was like on ESPN. He's like injured. (laughs) It's an injury. (laughs) It's the most disgusting feat you've ever seen. So if anyone wants to look up Antonio Brown's feet. Yeah, I think I'm fine. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, no, it looks bad. But when you moved into that, again, yeah, you're saying you've developed the thick skin. You know, take this on that you've been through it. But yeah, looking back, I mean, were there any mistakes, anything that you would have done differently? Do you think maybe having the smaller 10,000 footprint and maybe open it at second location? Because do you close down the 10,000 foot one, right? When you did the 20,000 foot, right? Yeah. What would you have done differently kind of now looking back? Again, we can't change things and help you get to where you are and learn these lessons, but it's always helpful to look back at your story. And now that you've looked back, hopefully we can learn from some things that you might've done differently. Yeah, and there's a few things. I mean, right off the top, I came in, I had this grand vision. And so one of the biggest mistakes I made, we had an office manager or a gym manager and the gym manager had a salary. Looking back, it made sense because we're doubling in size. There's going to be twice as many people in the building, more services. So I felt like I needed that manager type of role. And I realized very quickly that it was way premature. And that role was way overpaid for what we really needed. And I took for granted that anytime I opened a larger facility, it still took Mike Waters there day in, day out, doing the grunt work to get it to the point that I wanted to get it to before I started slowly pulling out and looking at the global view. And so I came in with way too much staff. I didn't grow into that staff. I came in with it day one, which was a huge mistake. The second part is I didn't account 
as much for, I basically took our growth rate that I've seen the last four years and I used that growth rate to create my projections, but I feel like I over projected and I didn't shave enough of that kind of miscellaneous, you know, kind of mishap. I didn't leave enough room for air. And so in my original projections, I think I shot a little too high. And then by adding that additional staff before it was very necessary, I think those were two huge mistakes that I made early that literally, I would say the first nine to 12 months could have easily cost us the whole operation. And I think that's what it was in that early stage. And then the second part of that was, I don't think it was the space. I think I was trying to take too many shortcuts in business. So here's what I mean by that. In the beginning, instead of me investing into the cryotherapy machines and everything that we need, we actually subleased our space for a company to come in and they operate and they pay us rent and then a small percentage of their revenue. And I'll give you a prime example of that percentage on average was maybe say four or 500 bucks a month. They had a very small space. So it was only $1,000 a month in rent. So that's only $1,500 a month on average that we generated. Right now we own the cryo machine and I just did our last month numbers. We profited over six grand from just the cryo alone. Okay, so you took it over? Yeah, I took it over completely. And that's what I mean by, from one angle, you look at it like this. It's less capital investment for me to bring in a person or a group or a business that runs it and they just pay us rent. The rent's guaranteed. You don't have to worry about the equipment. They take care of it. That's not a bad train of thought. Right. But for my big vision, I looked at that as that's the easiest way for me to get cryotherapy. And then here's another example. What's the easiest way for me to get physical therapy to make sure my athletes are treated correctly? And that is I partnered with a physical therapy company. They came in, they leased space, and they executed their services. So you see where I'm going? I'm basically subleasing to where today we own phase one medical. So it's our company now that executes it. So now we keep majority of that profit. Cryotherapy we own. So now instead of 1500 bucks a month, we profit six grand a month. You see what I'm saying? So in the beginning, I feel like I just, the vision was right, but I cut myself short in how I decided to go about it. And I, I wish I would have took that approach in the beginning. But at the same time, look how much more capital investment that would have been. So who's to say I would be in this position or not, but I've just learned from experience. Now we're looking at basically, I want to control everything. That way I'm in more control of my actual revenue, not just what I'm generating, but more importantly, what I'm keeping. And that's been a big difference in the last year or so here. If you listen to the show on a regular basis, then you've heard me mention the CastBox podcast app. I've been using it for the past several years and it's by far the best podcast app out there. And I love using CastBox for really two main reasons. One, it's an easy way to interact with other podcast listeners by commenting on specific episodes. And two, they make it easy to find new podcasts that you haven't heard of. So if you're tired of using those outdated podcast apps that are missing modern day functions, well join me and the 28 million users worldwide that use CastBox to listen to an awesome podcast every day like the one you're listening to this very minute. Download CastBox right now to see what you're missing. Just check the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and search for CastBox. That's C-A-S-T-B-O-X. CastBox, the better podcast player. Every week, you listen to amazing entrepreneurs right here on this awesome podcast. But rarely do you get to talk with these incredible people one-on-one -on -one about your specific business challenges. Well, now you can. 
On episode 104, I spoke with Eric Gilbert Williams about his journey from rock bottom to building and selling a multi-million dollar business. Well, now Eric is taking his business experience and coaching entrepreneurs like you so you can increase your bottom line. For a limited time, you can book a complimentary one-on-one phone session with Eric to find solutions for your business. No strings attached. Simply visit driveupprofits.com and reserve your spot today. That's driveupprofits.com. And again, if you'd like to learn more about Eric's story and how he's able to build his company up to 60 people and become the fastest growing company in his city, then go check out episode 104. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have thought the same way that you did because that's not your specialty, right? So you'll sublease it out and it could be helpful to whoever's training in there. So, I mean, what were they not doing properly that you started doing properly? I think maybe the chiropractic machine might be the easiest for us to understand. If they were barely giving you any money, were they just not talking to your athletes enough versus like when you're in there, you're pushing them more, how much it'll help or just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So number one, I think we didn't create a good enough model to blend the two together. Right. So I think when you have a different third party cryotherapy, there's kind of a disconnection. They have their own staff, their own front desk, their own check-in system. They have their own. When you do it the way we're doing it now, it just blends as phase one sports. You come in, if you're doing cryo, you're talking to the same person that set up your training, set up your massage, set up your nutrition So it's all uniform now. So it creates more of a flow. And then now I have a better opportunity of incorporating bundle packages. You know, hey, you're going to pay X amount and it includes this, 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 because now I can control the numbers, the dollars versus going to that owner saying, hey, what's the best price you can give me for cryo? Because I want to put an upcharge on it and add it into a package. It makes way more sense to me because it blends it in more versus you can get that icky feeling like, dude, I've already joined the gym. Why the hell is this guy selling me on the chirotherapy? Tell us how you worked with the chirotherapy company. I guess you ended up buying it or you ended up kicking them out and getting your own machine. Because yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. So what happened is, and the owner of that company was a very close friend of mine. And so him and me and him had a great working relationship and we were constantly kind of going back and forth on how we can make it a better project. Now, what ended up happening, which was a good turn of fate, is he ended up having the opportunity to expand his business at the same time that I was trying to figure out how to stabilize ours. And so we sat down and I told him what I was thinking. You know, at the end of the day, I think for this to make the most sense, we're going to have to end up either becoming more partner type situation or we're going to look at having to do our own thing. And us having a good working relationship, which I think is very important when it comes to negotiating and making decisions, even tough decisions. The fact that we had a great working relationship over the years and a friendship, I think that's what gave us the opportunity to sit down. And once we looked at the numbers and we figured it out, he said, Mike, at the end of the day, I have some other opportunities to grow. If you're open to it, I would prefer you just buy me out. And I said, you know what? That sounds like a great opportunity because, of course, on a buyout, we're going to save comparison to the retail price for the units, the machines. On a buyout, it's already set up in our facility. So there's not a lot of build out, not a lot of extra work. We just basically take over, bring that business under our phase one umbrella. And now all of a sudden we're operating fluidly in just literally a couple conversations. So we had that conversation. He was totally open to it. He understood that something had to change one form or another. And so I think what he did, which I think was smart, He looked at his investment, what it would take to 
satisfy where he was at financially. And he presented it. We negotiated a little bit. After a couple of weeks, we came to terms and we ended up buying out the business. And again, I think you said something important there. Having a good relationship was the ability to do that. Because if you were with somebody that you didn't like and y'all are at each other and they're in your facility, then that's, you could have lawsuits. We've heard about those before and, you know, just dealing with that. But when you're both on the same page, luckily, like it sounded like you were friends before. But I mean, from his standpoint, obviously it wasn't working well enough either. So it made sense, right? Yep. He's like, hey, if I'm going to keep losing money doing this as well, let's see what we can do. So again, like packaging. And it sounds like maybe that's what you did with the same thing with the physical therapy as well. Yep, exact same thing. And so what happened is going back to what you were saying, the relationship is what the key is. And so throughout the times and the months that I felt like, man, I wish we were generating more. Can we renegotiate our contract? I still presented those with the highest level of respect and communication. I wasn't the asshole owner. You know what I mean? That's going, hey, man, I need to make more money. You're going to pay me more or you're out. You know, I was going, hey, bro, this is what I need to do. I'm looking at the numbers. I mean, I really need to generate more from the space. What can we do? Well, what about this? So we're having good, healthy conversation throughout the first year year and a half and we're we're probably about a year. So we're having great conversation. So when I came at this point saying, hey, man, I really have to figure out something going into next year. The conversation was bright and it was open and it was great because we've already tried a number of different opportunities or options that still didn't get us to the end result, but it created an environment of open communication versus me treating him a certain way because I'm not happy and now saying, hey, what can we do? Hey, sorry about the way I've been treating you, but uh, you think we can talk? No. I created that relationship. And same thing with physical therapy. Very similar situation. So were you being honest with him as far as when you moved into the new building that you ate money for 18 months telling me even that part or no? Because I'm just wondering, like the negotiation, it sounds like maybe you're kind of good at that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I was pretty open book at where we were at. And so what I did was I had a certain dollar amounts that I wanted to generate from each area of our facility. And so that dollar amount, when we agreed to the initial terms of the $1,000 a month plus the percentage, the projections looked like I would get close to that number in that ballpark, but I never did. So he was fully understanding that I wasn't hitting my numbers throughout that whole process. So whenever I would come to him to discuss that, it was more like, hey, you know, last month we only did 1600 Hey, I really got to figure out how I really need another eight to a thousand dollars minimum just to really make this completely make sense. What can we do? Can we do a promotion? Can I promote it to my athletes? Can we do a free cryo session on Saturday? What can we do? So we created that work relationship. We tried. And so by the end, when I can look at the calendar and say, I haven't hit my numbers in 12 consecutive months and we've executed, we tried plan A, plan B, plan C, and we still didn't get the result. So now Mike has to figure out a way to make this make more sense. So I had a very open table. By the time I sat down, we all know where we're at. What can we do? And for him, he was profitable, but it wasn't by any substantial amount that made him say, nope, I'm never leaving this business. And you know, like I know, some people look at it and you say, okay, if he was profiting the additional three, four or five grand a month. It's great from one person's perspective, but from a business owner that's investing hours and time and dealing with management and payroll and scheduling and equipment and service and insurance, there's a number that doesn't make sense. And that number could still be five grand a month, but you look at it at the end of the month and go, that still doesn't make sense for the amount of work. And so I think that was a part of his decision is, yes, I am profitable, but am I profitable 
is it matching my work efforts and the time that I spend here running this cryotherapy business? And I don't think it matched to what his vision was, which also gave me an opportunity to come in and say, hey, that extra three to five for us is great. That changes my universe. But for you, you're self-employed and the business owns you because you're still in here 10 hours a day some days. Does it make sense? Or is this a good time for us to figure out an exit strategy for you and a revenue increase for us? And it was. I think that gets brushed under the rug too often. What you're even saying is like, yeah, you're profitable, but then it's kind of like, even when you made your first transition in your business, but you're putting in all these hours, is it worth the headache? Even if I'm making 40K, 50K, 60K net income, but it drains my energy so much. Yes, preach. <laughs> yeah, it's that energy draining that even when you go to sleep at night, having to think about it, is it worth that extra amount of income? So again, I guess Kim understanding that and you being able to package these things, obviously it seemed like it made a lot more sense into helping you out. Man, a lot more. Yeah, when you started looking back, the issues that you had growing from the 10,000 to 20,000, did you get like a new loan? So you felt like you had to buy all these things or give people these raises yet? even though you probably looking back, obviously should have waited. Was that part of it? So what I did at that time, I actually, I actually brought in an investor as well as a partner to kind of bring it all together. And so I think that did weigh in because now I had that extra pressure, you know, that extra like, okay, now it's not just Mike I have to worry about anymore. Now I actually have someone that has invested capital into this project and we're failing every single month. How do I figure this thing out and how do I figure it out quickly? So I think it did give me like that added pressure, added stress, but also probably some added competitiveness. Like I can't fail. It's not even just me now. And then you got to fast forward and look at it to where I was at that time. It was the first time in my career I had a partner and investor. First time ever. I've done everything else, bootstrap, figure it out. Now I have my director of performance training, who's now been with me for 14 of my 16 and a half years. I have my director of basketball has been with me 12 years. So now I even have people that are depending on me for their livelihood. Now it's like, if this doesn't work, what do we say? What do I do? Do I go back to 10,000 square foot? Do I close? What do I do? And so it just gave me this extreme level of what I would consider positive anxiety, healthy stress to say, I have to figure this out. And that's when I go back to what I said before, without the history of the last 14, 15 years without the history, there's no way I would have been prepared for it. There's no way. There's nothing in my brain to tell you without the gradual progression of the journey, could I have been prepared for what I've dealt with in the last two years and eight months? There's no way possible. From a money standpoint, from a financial standpoint, from a negotiation standpoint, from all of that, there's no way that I could have done it. And that's also why I love how we started this podcast Wherever you're at, just start now. Just start because those are the lessons and the journey and the hours. When you turn it into the million dollar business, that's where you're going to find the most joy. Look where I came from. Look what I've done. That's the secret. That's it right there. That's what's got me to this point. And it's not even a secret. It's just you have to actually put in the work, I say over and over. If you don't do anything, it's not hard. You got to put in the work. It's hard to an extent of the emotions to me is the up and downs and stuff, but you got to start doing. If you don't start doing, you'll never do anything kind of ultimately, what turned it around for you before we close here and kind of get your perspective on everything? Because obviously you talked about the chirotherapy and physical therapy. Those are kind of like little things I felt like on the side that helped, obviously. I mean, were you really good at marketing or what really turned it around after those 18 months? I think for us, it was bringing all the pieces together, like we just discussed, mm -hmm. and then putting certain people in the positions to keep everything flowing. 
So now I do have a front desk manager. I got my directors in each area. So I have things in place. And then now I can spend 90% of my energy in where I'm best at, which for me is the creativity, the marketing, all of our social media stuff, all of our branding, us taking care of the athletes and interviews. And that's where I live. And what I would advise any entrepreneur is in the beginning, it might not be possible, but you always want to try to work towards spending the majority of your time in your gift, in your space that you know, I'm great at this. In the beginning, you may have to do everything. In the beginning, I did everything. I have an accountant now that takes care of all that stuff. She's been with me for, I don't know, eight, nine years now. She's great at it. But in the beginning, guess who was doing those Excel spreadsheets? I was, you know, so I think it's a matter of always understanding what you're great at. Where's your gift at? And invest as much energy into that space as possible. And over time, put people in place to take care of everything else that keeps the business going, keeps it all growing. But that's your long term. Day one, do it. And one of the best things about me starting with every hat is because I understand every area of my business. I can go in right now, I could train an elite level athlete because I spent the first 12, 13 years training eight, 10 hours a day. Right now, I could run my own books if I want to. If I had to do it, if my accountant called me tomorrow and said I quit, until I find someone, I could run all the books. I know how to do P&Ls. I know how to read them. I know how to do spread. I got it all. If someone throws up on my turf, I can go in the cabinet, get the right cleaning supply, and clean the throw up on the turf right now. I've done it all. So there's a gift in that. But I also know that I'm most valuable in my area, which is doing what I'm doing now even. I love talking to entrepreneurs. I love speaking at events. I love traveling and talking to young athletes. That's where I thrive at. That's where my world is. And the more I spend in that world, the more successful I become. I see it so clear. The more I invest in it, the more return I get in what my zone is, I would call it. Well, Michael, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I think you did a great job of kind of summarizing everything, but I don't know if you have any other last words of wisdom for anyone who's listening right now. And maybe they might be in that position that you were when you opened up those new locations. Because I feel like that's the hardest part. That's like when people are listening to these podcasts, it's like getting out of that rut and like seeing the potential. So do you have anything else you'd like to leave everyone before we get off the call here? Yeah, I mean, a couple things, man, that I still do today, even at this stage at 41 years old and it's almost 17 years in, still take time throughout your day, throughout your week, take time to remind yourself why you even started the business. Why do you even decide to even start this? I don't care if it's all freaking hell and high water or if you're making millions of dollars, take the time to remind yourself why. The second part is make sure that you spend some time reflecting on your progression and then you spend even more time still figuring out where you're going and trying to expand what I call it my global view. I try to see, like, I know there's something. Even today, I walk in my building, I still think there's something I'm missing. There's something that I'm not seeing. When that light bulb pops on, I'm going to say, man, why did it take me so long to see it? So I always try to stay in that global view of like, I know I'm missing something and I'm going to figure out what it is. Even though right now I have no clue what it is, but I still at least a couple times a week walk in and go, what's missing? But I think it keeps us in this creative thought process that we all need and that we all have. And then the third piece is celebrate small success. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's your first contract and that contract is worth $50 a month. Celebrate it. Get in the habit of celebrating successes because when things go bad, 
your emotion is going to take over. You're going to have those moments where you want to crash. So why not, why not celebrate when you have a success? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's the thing that most entrepreneurs don't do at all. I mean, I have an issue with that is like trying to make sure that I do that. And honestly, it's funny when you're saying, make sure you every day, why you're doing it, like think about that. And I do that every day because sometimes I'm like, did I do the right thing? Why am I doing this? Whatever, you know? And I think as an entrepreneur, almost automatically, once you get in the business, you end up asking yourself, especially when things aren't necessarily going the right way. 100%. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And again, give us a good viewpoint of the roller coaster ride of an entrepreneur. So if anyone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? For me, I love Instagram. I'm on there daily, probably more than I need to be, but I'm on there a lot. So my Instagram is at I am phase one, which is I-A-M-P-H-A-S-E and the number one. So I am phase one. And then I'm open book, man. So if anyone just wants to shoot out an email, man, I'm one of those communication guys. I actually get inspired by inspiring other people. So that's a cool gift that I think I love. I inspire people. And even right now, I'm all excited, hype. I'm ready to go in here and do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm ready. But if anyone does want to email me, it's very simple. It's mwaters, M-W-A-T-E-R-S, at phase1sports.com, P-H-A-S-E, number one, sports.com. So, man, feel free to reach out. Man, I'm an open book, and I love talking to young entrepreneurs, man, that are in those early stages because it gives me a nice rejuvenation just to hear your story and to motivate you, and it keeps me going. So I love it, man. I appreciate being on, man. This has been awesome, and thanks for your feedback, man, and hearing parts of your story, I think is awesome, man, because we're all on a journey together, different businesses, different names, but we're all on a collective journey. Again, you're in this industry, but the people we have on are from all types of industries and we can learn from all of them. So thank you for taking the time and sharing your story with us. I think it's really inspirational and people appreciate it. So thank you for taking the time and be sure if you're listening now to take time to say hi to him on Instagram or send him an email and say thank you for doing the interview here. So thanks again, Michael. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, man. You have a great day, great week. So that I already, that was the original product that I sold on my YouTube channel or that, that I, that I used on myself. Do you not want to tell us about this at all? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Austin. I don't, I don't think this interview is like, I don't understand that it's like something, either you're distracted or something's going on because I mean, all I'm asking is about like most people are excited about talking about the product that they finally made. And it sounds like you're not excited about it at all. I, I just feel like I'm not. So if you want access to this awkward interview and other exclusive interviews that we haven't published on our main feed, well, join our Patreon, where you can get exclusive interviews that we already have ready for you. Just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon, or check your episode notes below on how you can help us keep bringing you this awesome show.